0: Before Joe comes up, let me uh, open us up in prayer and kind of get our hearts set for what he's about to share with us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we, um, we acknowledge that this is all about you. It's not about us. And Father, we ask that you would be here in, in power and in might. We pray that you would speak through Joe, that you would anoint him in a special way to uh, share with us your word. Give us ears to hear, and then help us to apply what we hear to our lives, that it might transform us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the men that are here, that uh, are guests. I pray that this would be a wonderful morning for them. And so we just thank you that you're going to be in our midst, and that you are going to speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're excited about that, Father. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Joe? Give Joe a big hand as he comes up.
1: Throw stuff up here. It's okay. okay. Tomatoes and apples. I told Ken he could throw stuff if he wants to. So get you an apple or a tomato or something and let it rip. Well, what a treat. Uh, I'm excited to be back in the great state of Texas. Being a uh, Texan myself, I've transplanted up to Missouri. But it's nice to cross the Red River. Um, How many of you men are married? You sure? (laughs) Okay. Uh, I just saw this the other day. Um, It happens. Wife calls her husband on the cell phone. He's been working. She said, There's trouble with the car, honey. It has water in the carburetor. Husband says, Water in the carburetor? That's ridiculous. Wife says, I tell you, the car has water in the carburetor. Husband says, you don't even know what the carburetor is. I'll check it out. Where's the car? There was water in the carburetor. Now, I'm from the hills, and uh, I have some interesting friends up in the Ozark Mountains. Coming from College Station, Texas, I had some interesting friends down there as well. But uh, but but uh I, I took some pictures of my friends and um if you ever wonder why women live longer than men, here's a picture of some of my friends that will demonstrate to you why women live longer than men. Todd, you can just kind of roll these things through about every you know, about every two seconds. This is why men don't live long, fellas. These are these are the way we do things up in the hills. <laughs> yes, sir. That's that's uh that is the last time that boy screwed in a screw in the ceiling of a swimming pool, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> There's my favorite right there. <laughs> I, uh, I, I had one more I wanted to show you guys this morning. Uh, if y'all were at the Men at the Cross, how many of y'all were with us over there the other morning at Will Rogers? Well, we, we had a good time over there, and the rest of you guys are just stupid. But anyway, uh, uh, we, we, we had a good time over there, and um, I showed the fellows something that we've just invented. And, and, you know, there's a few things that you invent that you're not proud of, and there's a few things you invent that you're proud of. Well, this I'm really proud of. And, and we're, we're going to market these things, and I'm sure you're going to want one. This will solve all the problems in Fort Worth, Texas. With, with, with paranoia about your daughter going out on a date, with crime, with just any problem you have, this is our latest invention. I want you to check this out. You're, I want You're going to want to get one after we're done. my little trunk monkey. You're going to love this guy. Isn't that great? I'm telling you it's going to be a revolution. It's going to be a complete revolution. We got a double soundtrack there, Todd. I guess we got one track. Anyways, a daughter's first date with her boyfriend in daddy's car. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry you're missing the soundtrack. <laughs> my, uh, my, Michael Sharp knows this, but when my, uh, when my daughter went out on her first date, uh, how many men have a teenage daughter? Well, you know, my philosophy is you've got to stake out your territory, and you have to make the boys in, in the local high school remember that, they, that that daughter does have a dad. It's extremely important, man. And if you haven't taken advantage of your uh... manliness with the boys who come by to uh, pick up your daughter then you need to do that well uh... I, i'd been preparing for this for fourteen years and when the phone call came for my daughter's first date we live in a small town up in missouri and um, you know y- y- you, you gotta get your reputation around the high school we my daughters go to a public school and like their mom my daughters have pretty eyes and and so uh... W- when the phone call came for my daughter's first date it's a true story It came from a senior in high school named josh and Josh was a six-foot, five-inch kid that was kind of the center on the high school basketball team. And I'd met the kid one time. And I knew he was going to ask my daughter to prom. So I'd been kind of preparing myself. So when the phone rang, I, w- I actually was sitting by the phone at night because I knew that dude was going to call. And I wanted the first voice he heard to be mine. And so uh, the phone rang. And I just grabbed the phone. And I, s- I just said, hello, Dan, in as grouchy a voice as I could possibly say it. And Dan knows what a grouch I can be. And so I said, hello. And he said, hello. And, and I, s- I said, what do you want? That's the first thing I said. What do you want? And he said, he said is, is Jamie there? And I, I said, what do you want? And he said, well, I want to ask her to the prime. And I said, well, may, maybe you better ask your father first. And, and in a very hurried-up voice, he said, can I take her? And I said, well, I want you to, I want you to ask uh, me in person. And he said, in person? And I said, yeah, I want you to come over. And he said, uh, I don't want to go that bad. And uh, y'all, I'm gonna tell you this is a straight truth. Uh, and 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 I and I said, Josh, I said, you're six feet five inches tall. Surely you got the guts to come over and talk to a shriveled up old man. That's what I said to a shriveled up old man. And so he said, he he, sa- he said, he finally agreed. Well, I've got large friends because we run these sports camps. And and my biggest friend is named Stephen Moore. And Stephen is six nine and about three ten. And and uh, uh, and uh, it, it, <laughs> Stephen is. He's one of the funniest men I know, but he also can be just a little bit intimidating, and so Stephen. And I kind of got this thing together. And then I have another friend named J.D. who's actually a soldier. And I have a buddy over here named J.D. who I'm sitting by. But anyway, this other J.D. friend of mine is a soldier. So Stefan puts on a dark suit and a dark tie and dark sunglasses like he's a CIA guy. And, I mean, this guy could make a great CIA guy. He could guard Fort Knox by himself. He's just huge. He's an enormous person. And then J.D. is a soldier. He was the commander of cadets at Texas a and so J.D. camos his face Paint with you know a uh, warfare camo and he puts on his army uniform and he takes my son's deer rifle and he's standing next to Stefan at the front door with the deer rifle bolt open. <laughs> and so here comes this kid, and this is the first time my daughter's ever gone out on a on a on a date in the school, and this, and nobody, the boys in the school didn't know me from Adam. So here comes Josh. Well he well, here's Stefan. Well, Josh is six five, Stefan's six nine. So uh and, and my daughter's in the bushes filming, so I've got a, I've got a video of this. So this is legit. And so uh, and Stefan is not laughing and so and so Stefan gets into Josh's face like this, and he looks down at a six foot five inch kid and he goes, Josh. And Josh looks up at a human for the first time in his life and he goes, Yes, sir. And Stefan said, Josh. He said, I hear you want to take Jamie Joe to the prom. And and Josh goes, uh, <laughs> yes, sir, I think so. And Stefan said, Josh. He said, "Jamie is my little sister." (laughs) And Josh goes, "Wow!" (laughs) Now we live in kind of a white part of the country, you know, but 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 my friends, my friends are African American friends. We run camps for city kids, and so. uh, uh, we 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 have uh, we have probably more African American kids in that county than there are people in that county, and it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in our county. I will clear you, it's been an unbelievable. Uh, uh, but 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 Josh had probably never been in front. Of an African American gentleman, especially a six foot nine inch, 310 pound gentleman, it was unbelievable. And Josh is trying to calculate my daughter's DNA when he looks at Stephen and goes, "She's my sister," you know. And then, and then Stephen said, "Are you going to touch her?" And and uh, and uh, and Josh goes, "I promise I'm not going to touch her anywhere. I promise I'm going to hold her hand." And then JD, the soldier, kicks the bolt in the rifle, shoulders the gun. Points the gun at this poor child, and he said, Boy, you've been out smoking marijuana and burning American flags, haven't you? And this kid goes, Man, I don't even light matches. I don't even have a lighter. And so, if that isn't funny enough, four years later, and of course he never takes her out again, which suited me fine. Four years later, a boy calls Courtney, my second daughter, my blind-headed daughter, and um Four years had gone by, and I just happened to grab the phone. I'd settled down a little bit in those four years, and I grabbed the phone. This boy's name was Peter, and and he says, Courtney there. And I said, who is this? He says, this is Peter. And I said, said, what do you want? He said, well, I want to ask Courtney the prime. And I I said, Peter, do you know who this is? And he said, I've heard about you, man. Oh baby, stake out your territory. Hey, I warned this guy, but uh, I have a very, very good friend. You know, I've got a few friends, but I've got a couple of very, very good friends. And and Dan Roberts is one of my very good friends. He's he's just one of my favorite people on earth. Dan. Uh, uh, grew up in Oregon, but anyway, he's he moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and he got into country music for about uh, ten or fifteen years, and then he then he moved to Texas, and he kind of left the country music scene. He came to the cowboy music scene, and he was the cowboy artist of the year. He's his, you know as good as it gets in cowboy music. But anyway, uh, Dan has just written a song, and I, I haven't heard it, and so can you try? Can we borrow a guitar? Do you, do you, did that guitar leave? Oh darn. Is that guitar still around? All right, Dan, I'll bring you up in just a second. But for all of you guys who are sick of the debates and sick of the the campaign ads and all that other stuff that's going on, this one will—this one will humor you. Can we do this in just a minute? We'll get it tuned. Dan always tunes up, and it just drives me nuts because you tune forever. But anyway, get the thing tuned up when you get up here and have it completely tuned and plugged in. all right, all right. Bring that thing up here and plug it in. Before you do that, uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to talk about marriage this morning. But I just want to tell you one thing about about uh, marriage. Don't forget your anniversary. Okay, that's all I need to say about marriage. Has anybody ever forgot one? Somebody, you liars! Come on, somebody's forgot one. <laughs> Yeah, she had to remember, she as you. Yeah, I'm still hearing about it. I forgot our 10th anniversary. Well, I read just the other day about about a, a, a guy named Ed who forgot his 10th anniversary. And, uh, and his wife was not as graceful as my wife. I mean, she tore his hide off. Did you get, was it bad? Did you get in trouble? Was it awful? It wasn't? It was moderately awful at my house, but Ed's was awful. And his wife got into his grill and she poked him in the chest a couple of times about 9.30 at night because nothing happened. There was no dinner or anything. And she said, in the morning, when I wake up, she said, there better be something parked on that driveway that goes from zero to 250 in six seconds flat, or you're dead, Ed. And so Ed wasn't a total, complete fool, so he got on the phone, called a couple of his buddies, and and sure enough, the next morning she woke up and ran over to the Venetian blinds. She opened them up and peeked out there on the driveway, and there on the driveway was a package about that big. It was all wrapped up with a nice bow and ribbon on top, and she was so mad she ran out there and ripped the ribbon off the top of that package and there was a brand new bathroom scale (laughs) so uh, anyway I don't know where anybody stands politically I don't care but anyway, Dan's got a little song about a little girl who just showed up from Alaska, and she kind of made things a little uncomfortable for a few liberals in this country. So, Dan, go ahead.
2: <laughs> yeah, Ken Miller, you think you were taking a chance getting Joe up here? He's taking a real chance getting me. Exactly. Up he hadn't heard this song. All well, right, there. Well, she's a first class lady and the pride of the last frontier. She got conservative Americans smiling from ear to ear. Where she can hunt and fish and field dress a caribou, I bet she'll do some hunting in the Beltway too, Saracuda. Oh, Saracuda. Where she walks on the right, where the left wouldn't dare to trod. She'll fight for life and the wife and a one nation under God. She's a truly liberated woman with a loaded gun. Under normal circumstances, I'd duck and run. But not from this one, oh no, not from Saracuda. A hockey mom, she's a mom, and every kid's mother, she's She understands the difference between a sister and a brother She's forgotten more than most men will ever know About juggling life and running the show She got mojo Well, she's a first-class lady in America's last frontier She got left-wing liberals frowning from ear to ear Hey, all you furry fat cats will be feeling your pain. You know, Sarah cleans house like old John Wayne. Saracuda, oh yeah, beware. Saracuda, can't scare a Saracuda, don't dare a Saracuda. Thank you.
1: Dan and I have had more fun with bows and arrows and guns and kids, and he's a good daddy and a good husband. I'm glad he moved to Texas. He, he ran around with some guy named Garth somebody for a few years and um, wrote and sang with Garth, and, but we're glad, we're glad Dan's a Texan. Um, it's an amazing statement when, Bible, when the Bible says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's just an incredible statement. And it says, the earth was formless and void, and darkness hovered over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God separated the light from the darkness. The light he called day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters to separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse, and he separated the waters which are above the expanse from the waters which are below the expanse. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and morning, second day. And then God said, Let the dry land appear. And let vegetation appear on the dry land. Let it produce seeds of its kind. He goes on and talks about the lights and the two great lights to separate the, the uh, for the sign of the and the days of the years. And then it says, he separ- then, then on day four, it says, He made the, the uh, you know, the, He said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures out of their kind, the birds that fly in the air. And then on day five, things start getting interesting. And He makes the, He makes the, uh, I'm sorry, day five, he makes the, makes the birds. And, th- and then day six, it says he makes living creatures after their kind. And then, and then something happens. And you can just feel Genesis 1 just come to a screeching halt. And it says, God said, let us make man in our image. And let him rule over the fish of the sea and over birds of the sky and over every living thing that crawls upon the ground. Let us make man in our image. It's just a, an amazing statement. Let us, the triune God, the first time that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are revealed in the Trinity, let us make man. And, and, and let him look something in personality like us. And so you all are doing this study on this incredible subject. And um, I, I went to Southern Methodist University and played football up there. And then I went back to Texas A&M to coach football. And uh, I've always hated TCU and Scotty Nix. I'd hate him as bad today as I ever have. So anyway, I have no mercy for you, buddy. But uh, <clears throat> but I studied biology and I studied pre-med. And and all I ever knew was you know that it, that it happened by accident, it happened by chance. It was all just you know evolution. It was just a, just an accidental happenstance. But in the last 30 years, I have enjoyed studying the other side of the coin. And it was interesting, men, about Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and when it says, in the beginning, God spoke. God created the heavens and the earth. And you can just run past that if you want to. But it's the most amazing fact in science that's ever been spoken in science. In fact, NASA is literally proving today Genesis 1 is absolutely true, just the way it was written. You know, Dr. Robert Jastrow, who's the chief scientist for NASA, he's the head of the Goddard Institute, you know dr jestro who i don't think is a believer but he is definitely a believer in a creative being and and and, and jestro said recently he said now we know with absolute certainty that supernatural forces were at work in the creation of the cosmos you know they have through all the new uh, uh, telescopic imaging in this WMAP satellite that, that that orbits the earth and takes these pictures of the cosmos fantastic pictures you know, they have seen now that there's about 100 billion galaxies in our cosmos, and every galaxy has about 100 billion stars. And the, and the latest report that came out from NASA 18 months ago says that the cosmos is about 27.4 billion light years across. It's amazing. <laughs> That's a long ways. That's further than it is to Branson, Missouri, Dan. 27.4 billion light years and through this computer retroimaging that they do now, because as you know Hubble in nineteen twenty-nine saw that the cosmos was expanding. And so now they take it back into computers and they see that, that the cosmos came literally from zero, that it came from the mouth of God. And when God spoke the cosmos, this computer retroimaging that they're doing now s- suggests scientifically that the cosmos expanded. Get this man, a hundred. I mean, I mean, I mean uh, it's 27.4 billion light years across. It expanded billions of light years in the first trillionth of a second. Picture it: a hundred billion galaxies moving billions of light years in the first trillionth of a second. If that's not God, what in the world is it? And so the scientific community is on their knees today. They know that could not have happened the way Darwin and the way the secularists and the humanists said it happened. It had to be God. And and if that's fascinating about God, and to me that is fascinating about him, that he is that big, that powerful, that omnipotent. But the most fascinating thing to me, you know, they measure intelligence by how much information you can get into the smallest space. You know, we have these little mini iPods today, and these computer chips where you can just pack literally, li- literally, you know, movies and, and you know every cell phone number, and you can imagine everything else in these little bitty spaces. Well, God is so intelligent, man. He has packed more intelligence in every cell in your body than a nuclear carrier or a space shuttle. More complexity, more brilliance. You, you know, your body is about a hundred trillion cells. And every one of your cells is more brilliant than a nuclear carrier. It's unbelievable. You know, uh, Dr. Arthur Compton, who won the Nobel Peace Prize in physics, he says, he says, uh, he said, most remarkable of all is the fact that in science the world begins with an act of creation. He said, he said, the astronomical evidence uh, leads us to believe the most majestic statement ever uttered: "In the beginning, God." It's coming out of science today. It's fascinating. But to me, of all the fascinating things about God, to me, the most fascinating thing about God is that He wants to be my daddy. That God has an intimate heart, that God has a heart that wants to be known. It just, it's just it just blows my mind, man. I've asked some of my, my guy friends that I play golf with and, and know from different places. I go, I go, how do you how do you love God the way you do? You know, I, 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 I have some of these friends that I just admire so much. And I go, how do you have the intimacy of God in you? How do you, how do you uh, acquaint yourself and how do you walk closely with God in a relationship that's tender? In, in a relationship where, where literally you can feel like, even as a 60-year-old man, that, that you can feel like that God is your dad. And that you and God have got a relationship that's the most tender relationship you've ever had. One of my buddies, Johnny Musso, who played for Bear Bryant, I said, Johnny, you've got such a tender relationship with God. How do you, how do, you do that? He said, Joe, every day I pray for the intimacy with God that I have with my wife and my giddiest moments with, with Tanner, my wife. Asked the President of the United States the same question. I said, "How do you, and, and, and all the pressure of what you're under in Washington D.C. How do you maintain the intimacy with God?" And he talked about his prayer life and, and, and people praying for him and his morning devotionals. And how he just reads through his devotionals over and over again, you know, until he just gets the tenderness of God in his heart to go out and take the pressure of the world on his shoulders. And, 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 and gentlemen, the most fascinating thing to me about that is that we get to give that same thing away to our kids and to our wife. You know, we're we're talking in this church about his image, my image. You know, being able to reflect to our kids the same thing that we see in God. And and you know what, man? A lot of us didn't have a daddy like that. A lot of us didn't have a dad that was tender. A lot of us didn't have a daddy that was nurturing. A lot of us didn't have daddies that hugged. We didn't have daddies that were affirming or that said they loved us. A lot of us in here didn't even have daddies that we really knew that well. And and so you're sitting out there and you're hearing this and you're going, "Joe, you might as well be speaking Russian. You might as well be speaking French. I don't know that in my life, I don't know tenderness, I, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't know intimacy. That, that is about that's, about, that's about par for me, that's about the way I live my life. Dan, that's why your brother said you're just like Dan. Thank you. And, and, and men, I just want to touch on that this morning. How do, how do we give that away, especially for some of us who never had that in our own lives? How do we give that tenderness and intimacy away? <clears throat> to our wife and to our kids and the relationships that matter the most. Now, me being a frustrated golfer, uh, I brought my golf clubs in here. And, you know, Mike said, can I carry your golf clubs for you? And I said, Mike, you know what? Uh, when I carry my golf clubs, I, I feel like I'm going somewhere. So I, 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 I love to carry my golf clubs. I wish I, I wish I had time to play more. But But the reason I brought my golf clubs is because anybody golfers in here? Okay, well, I'm a frustrated golfer, and I don't know if you're you're doing great in golf or whatever, but but for me being a daddy and a husband and trying to give to my kids the intimacy that I have in God's image, to, to love my wife and kids the same way that God loves me with that same absolute unconditional care of the perfect dad for a son that he's crazy about, as little as I deserve that kind of love from him, you know, I think about my game of golf. Now, how, how are you doing in golf? For me, this game is somewhere between difficult and impossible. How many of y'all are finding that out with golf? And for me, as a dad, it's the same game. It's somewhere between difficult and impossible. I mean, every time I pick these things up, I look at these clubs. I have a happy face on my driver because it's just a psychological deal. This is the most difficult club in the bag for me. You know long and straight i mean that 's a i don 't like Tiger woods by the way, and i don 't like Mickelson or any of those guys. They make it look too easy it 's not that easy but but you know what to, to, to have a great golf game and, and, and you know and I know Franklin Graham and Dr. Dobson and Ryan, and nobody has an easy job being a dad. Billy Graham, if he was here he 'd tell you being a dad is a lot like playing golf it ain 't easy and if Dr Dobson was here, he would tell you. That it ain't easy being a dad. It's a lot like playing golf. And any of us who are married would say it's not easy to be a husband and to love our wives like Christ loved the church with the same image of the way God loves me. It's not easy to do that. But you guys and I know playing golf that, that if you want to have a birdie or a par or an eagle, you've got to have a great tee shot. And, and, and men, I, I want to tell you one thing. As, as clumsy as I am at being a dad... And as clumsy as I am at being a husband, there is one shot that you can hit off the tee box every single morning. In fact, you can start tomorrow morning as a husband as a daddy that will put the ball in the middle of the fairway every single time. And that's to be the most encouraging person in your kid's life. You know, a, a, a great golf swing has got, a, has, has got to have a great backswing. And then obviously a great golf swing has got to have a great Follow through. And, and, and the backswing of, of, of being a daddy is to be the biggest cheerleader that your kids have ever known. The first thing that comes out of your lips is, Daddy, is that a boy. I'm proud of you. Great job. Uh, 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 J.D. Roberts, one of the nicest kids I've ever met. And he happens to have uh, one of the most encouraging people as a dad, Dan Roberts, that I've ever known in my life. And J.D. will tell you Dan ain't perfect, and and, and he certainly is not. But he's one of the most encouraging people I've ever met. I mean, Dan has got a great backswing. And one of the things that I learned when my kids were young is that the relationship is everything. The relationship with your kids trumps everything else you're doing as a daddy. Way to go, son. I'm proud of you. Good job, boy. You know that that's that's awesome, and he gets a C on his paper and you go, "Let me find everything great you did on that paper and, and he brings it in there because everybody else is finding everything wrong that he's doing in his football or his basketball or, or or in his grades or everything else well you're the guy that's finding everything right that's going on in in, in his life and whatever he's doing. I was talking to a dear friend this morning and, and one of his boys works out with me in the summer at our camp and and the boy's sitting on the bench. And it's just horrible. But when he comes home, he's not sitting on the bench. The coaches don't think he's a very good athlete, but his mom and dad think he's incredible. They're proud of that boy. I I coached at Texas A&M with a man named Gene Stallings. And and Coach and I had an incredible experience at Texas A&M with the Aggies. And if you want to hear a good Aggie joke, we won seven games, went to the Liberty Bowl, and we got fired. (laughs) You know, they think if they can fire enough coaches down there, they're eventually going to get somebody who can win ball games. Scotty, I don't know; it's hopeless, I think. But anyway, before we got fired at Texas A&M, I made a really good friend, and 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 Coach, as some of you all know, uh, you know, went on to coach with uh, Coach Landry, and then he went to the uh, uh, Arizona Cardinals, and then he went to Alabama and won the national championship. And uh, Coach has four girls, and he has one boy, and and he's got fantastic girls because Coach has an amazing wife. But, but Coach loved that boy like he's the only boy that was ever born. Now, Johnny has Down syndrome, Coach's son Johnny. And Johnny was only supposed to live to be four years old. Well, this summer I got a phone call, and I knew it was coming. And I've been dreading that phone call <clears throat> since I've known Coach back in the uh, uh, season of 1970. Uh, Johnny had gone to heaven. And I got in that plane, I got to Paris, Texas as fast as I could, my little self could go. I, I was at camp this summer every day except two, and one of them was to get to Paris, Texas to be with my friend when his boy died. And, and, and I sat there at the end of that bed with Coach and let that dear man cry and talk about Johnny. And, and Coach told me something, actually he told me before, but he said every day for the better part of 46 years that they were best friends. Every time Coach was on the field, Johnny was on the field. Uh, he, he, coach would wake Johnny up he would get Johnny dressed he would get Johnny fed coach would get off and do his coaching thing and, and then Johnny would join coach on the field every day and, and, he, and coach said that every day when Johnny would wake up he'd say hey pop who's your favorite boy and, and coach would always say now he only had one boy man but Johnny wanted to know who his favorite was and, uh, and, and Coach would always say, Johnny, in the whole wide world? And Johnny would say, yeah, Pop, in the whole wide world, who's your favorite boy? And Coach would, would, would smile. He'd say, you are, Johnny. You're my favorite boy in the whole wide world. And, and Johnny, who couldn't count to ten, but he would never forget your name. In some ways, he was the most brilliant kid you've ever met. But, but 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 you know one of these one of these strange you know uh, DNA anomalies you know a, a birth disorder uh, Johnny never knew a bad word he never had a bad thought he never had a selfish thought he he never met anybody he didn't like except for Bill Clinton and we'll talk about that later but anyway. Uh, <laughs> Johnny, for real, Johnny showed me pictures. Johnny showed me pictures of Johnny and these different presidents. And he'd say, Well, that's that, that's you know that's President Bush, and, and, that's, and that's President Reagan. And, and then he had a picture of Bill Clinton, and he goes, I don't know who that is. And that's that, for real, he was the funniest kid you ever saw. But, but he said, Every day, he said, he'd look up to me, and he'd say, Hey, Pop, you know who my favorite Pop is? And Coach would say, In the whole wide world. And Johnny'd say, Yeah, Pop, in the whole wide world. And 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 get Coach say who and Johnny and say you are Pop you're my favorite Pop in the whole wide world isn't that unbelievable guys the relationship is everything you're the biggest cheerleader that the wife that your wife has your biggest cheerleader you, you know you ask your son or your daughter one day you go tell me about your dad. And, and, you know, they go, you know what, nobody believed in me like my daddy did. Nobody on earth believed in me like he did. And, And you get that relationship one hug at a time, one I'm proud of you at a time, one attaboy at a time, one little note, just one little note, hey, Tiger, proud of you. Stick it in his billfold, you know, stick it on the steering wheel of the car before he takes off to school. You know, you know, stick it in that lunch sack before he grabs that lunch to, you know, to go off to school. One little hug, one little affirmation, one little way to go, one little super job, one little hold that pose while I call Sports Illustrated, son. I want to take a picture of that. That's awesome. Because nobody's cheering for him like that out there. But you are. My, my youngest son, Cooper, and I uh, talked last night, Michael, in your house for about a half an hour when I should have been sleeping. But I couldn't wait to hear from that boy man. When he was in high school, we were struggling, and I know some of you have relationships with your kids. You're struggling. We struggled in my home too. Billy Graham struggled with Franklin. Dr. Dobson struggled with Ryan. Every, you know, nobody's beyond that, because you make talks or write books or whatever doesn't bar you from anything. I'll, I'll clue you. My home was as chaotic as your home. But I love that boy, and uh, we struggled in high school, and, 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 and in fact, we, you know, we had some knockdown dragouts in my house. And, you know, he was going through some difficult issues in high school. But, uh, but every night, man, I got to tuck that boy in bed. My favorite time of the day. And upstairs, we'd have it out. But downstairs was tuck-in time. And he played linebacker, and he was a great big strong athlete and, and went and, you know, played football in college. But, but at night, I'd, I'd lay by that boy at night, and we'd read the Bible together and we'd pray together. And every single night through those difficult days that he was going through in high school that I was going through with him, at the end of our devotional time together, in our devotional time, we didn't talk about anything that was going on upstairs. It was about me and a boy that I loved with all my heart, even though high school was extremely grueling. Sports and concussions and stuff he was going through was just awful. But I'd always say to that kid, as I'd walk out of the room, I'd turn around in the darkness, I'd say, Cooper... I want you to know I love you, and I'm proud to be your daddy. I remember one night he came in. He'd gotten in a fight, and, and some kid had called him a bad name, and he'd swung at him and, you know, cold-cocked the kid. And it was, a, it, was a bad, it was a bad scene. And he came home, and his two buddies were, you know, man, it was awesome, Joe. You should see Cooper. Man, he cold-cocked got I go, don't talk about it. <laughs> and I walked down there, and I said, Cooper. I said, don't ever, <laughs> don't ever do that again. You know, and, and you know, you're going to get thrown in jail. You're going to get on you know, the football team. You've just got to you gotta learn to walk away, man. And I remember walking out of his room. He goes, hey, Dad. And I said, yeah. He goes, are you proud of me? And I said, Cooper, I am always proud to be your daddy. But don't get in one of those things again. Hey, Dad, are you proud of me? Every girl wants to know that man more than anything else. If you have a daughter, I'm telling you, I don't know what all your MO is for raising that girl. And there's a lot of things we have to do besides scare off the boys and other important things. But you make sure that daughter knows you're proud of her. I was with Mike Sharp's daughter last night, Little Madison. i tell you what, that girl that girl has got the... I mean, if you've ever met a girl who just glows like Jesus, is just the, the sunshine in her heart, that's Little Madison Sharp. And her sister Morgan, who's up at Syracuse now, is the same quality. And they get a lot of that from a dad who is absolutely crazy about those two little girls. Well, there's another club in this bag. And this man is called the rescue club anybody got one of these my wife gave me this on my birthday about five years ago when your wife starts giving you golf clubs men you're doing good in your marriage you're doing good (laughs) this was big and 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 i have learned to love this club because my drives i don't know how your drives are doing but a lot like being a daddy i hit the ball in the rough a lot Man, I struggled through those high school years. Wow, it was tough. I had four teenagers at the same time, and I was making C's and D's. I wasn't doing a great job. I I remember uh, just the mystery of raising kids. My uh, uh, daughters were in middle school, and wow. uh, I mean, I was like the enemy. Does anybody ever feel like the enemy? Anybody ever feel clumsy as a dad? Nobody does. Y'all are doing great. Anyway. And, and I can't get anything out of my daughters. We're driving down the road in, in, in a pickup truck, and, and, and I'm, I'm trying to—I'm fishing for a compliment. I'm fishing for any kind of communication at all. Anybody got middle school kids? Y'all, y'all have this silence in the car. And, and, and finally, I just—I just said, "Is there something wrong between us?" And Courtney looks at me. She goes, "She says, Daddy, Jamie doesn't like you very much." And I said, "Really?" I said, uh, "Tell me about it." Jamie says, "I hadn't liked you since November. It was March." And I said, "Well, tell me about that." She said, "Well, my friends go to these kind of movies. You don't let me. My friends go to these kind of parties. You don't let me. My friends, my friends. Anybody ever heard this message before? Their friends are doing. They're piercing everything and tattooing everything, and you don't. You know. And 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 uh, and I said, "You know what, Jamie? I said, I said you may not like me till you're 23. I just pulled a number out of the sky. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I want to be your friend, but God's asked me to be your dad." And and I said, when you're 23 or 25 or whatever you are, I said, you're going to be in some little chapel up there. And you're going to be back there dressing up in the most beautiful white gown and the most beautiful white lace. And I said, Princess, you're going to be as gorgeous as your mommy was on that day. And I said, I'm going to meet you in that little sanctuary somewhere. And I'm going to walk you down that aisle. And I'm going to hand you off to, you know... Is, as Swindoll says, when you give your daughter away in marriage, it's like giving a Stradivarius violin to a gorilla. It's the most <laughs> awful thing in your life. And I said, I'm going to hand you to this guy. And, and I said, Peanut, that man's going to love you more than his own life. And I said, that's when I want you to say, I like my daddy. And, and yeah, you know what, man? We're the most affirming guy in the world. But you know what, sometimes that ball gets in the rough. I mean, a lot of times for me, the ball got in the rough. By the way, we had that day. And, and, and a few months went by and she was able to say, you know what, Dad, I, I, do, I do like you. I don't know why I'm so mean to you. She told me one time, I said, I don't know why either. I can't figure it out. I don't know anything about girls, by the way. I have, I have an education ahead of me somewhere. But I end up in the rough. And you know, what, you know what the rescue club is? And for some of you men, this is gonna be the most important thing you've ever heard is a husband or a daddy. And and honestly, I am still learning this with my wife and with my kids. I'm still learning this. There's a little heart inside of your daughter. In fact, if your boy is a big, rugged kid like my kids, there's there's a tender heart inside of your son. And I will promise you, in your wife, there's a tender heart that for most women never is discovered by a man. Never. Their daddy did not discover it. In fact, their daddy smothered it. Most women, most women in this country had dads who never discovered her emotional heart. And most of us married a girl who never had her tender emotional heart touched ever. And there's a hunger inside of a child. And there's a hunger inside of a bride that wants their emotional heart to be cared for. I remember when Jamie this was for me like you, this was like, what? I never knew that. She came in from uh, gymnastics. She was six years old. She'd been cut from her gymnastics team. And she came in and and she j- jumped in my lap. Oh, man, when your child comes into your lap. What a privilege when she wants to come and and, and and sit there with you. I mean, you're just a clumsy old guy. And here's this precious child that wants to sit in your lap. And, and, and she's crying. She'd been cut from the gymnastics team. And she's out in the rough. And, and, uh, and, and I, I don't know what I said, it doesn't matter. I just rocked her in the chair for probably half an hour. And I do remember saying one thing, Peanut, God just loves your heart so much. That night I tucked her in bed and, and I, as I walked out of her room I heard that little voice say, Dad. And I turned around to her little bed there where she was laying there just so beautiful, laying on that little pillow. And I said, yeah, Peanut. And she said, Dad. She said, thanks for tying my heart back together tonight. And I said, Peanut, what would you say? And she said, ah, Dad, thanks for tying my heart back together tonight. And I said, Peanut, what do you mean by that? And she said, Daddy, tonight when I came in, my heart was broken. But you tied it back together again. That's the rescue club. I remember when Brady was 17. He was a junior in high school, and the pressure of sports had crushed him. It's tough to be a teenager. I mean, it had literally crushed my boy's soul. And he was going through incredible depression. It was just an awful year. Well, when they were little, I started laying by them, like I said a minute ago. And I, and I lay by him at night. And some people that go in the room, tuck their kids in, I was on the pillow. I'm just a big, dumb football guy. And I'd just lay on the pillow, and I'd wait for him. And they'd come down, they'd lay down. Well, now Brady's six feet three, bigger than me. And night after night, for months, his head's on my chest, weeping these tears of depression and sadness but praise God that the the old man was able to lay there and to tie that 17 year old heart back together again men the way a man rescues the way a man discovers the tenderness of your wife and she's dying for you to know her heart she's dying for you to be created in God's image as a graceful tender loving man of the house that little boy, that little girl of yours, whether they're tiny or whether they're huge, like mine or full-grown, they're dying to have their emotional heart. All you have to do, men, is to care about their sadness, is to care about their happiness, is to care about their brokenness. If your wife ever says to you, honey, it's tough. Honey, this was a hard day. Honey, it's just, man, I'm just feeling a lot of pressure right now. Men, button your lip. Open those ears that God's given you and just sit there and hold her. Some of y'all are great at advice. Some of y'all are just incredible at fixing things. Don't do it. You know, kids and wives are saying to their daddies, you know what they're saying? Unsolicited advice is considered criticism. Write it down. And I know we want to fix it so bad as guys. We're made to be fixers. Well, don't. If she, if she indicates sadness in her life, just sit there and hold her. Just say, baby, tell me about your sadness. Guys, that's all you've got to do. Tell me about your sadness. And if she starts telling you stuff and you know you've got the solution, please don't give it to her. Just say, oh, baby, wow, that must hurt. I was sharing with a friend this morning who came in. I hadn't seen him, but, but his kids were in camp. His boy committed suicide years ago. And my heart broke with his heart today, even though it was eight or nine years ago when it happened. My heart broke with him today. And all I could say to him, I am so sorry that you and your wife have had to go through that. It must have just been awful because it was awful. Sure, there's the wedge. Sure, your your kid's off the green. You know, you, you can't get it in the fairway, and you've got to get the ball on the green. There's there's times for discipline. And uh, if, if your child's going through some some incredible rebellion, yes, it's our job to deal with that. There's something outside that I did with Dr. Dobson that talks about taking a kid through the days of rebellion. I'm not going to talk about that. By the way, the, you know, I, I grew up when there wasn't anything called timeout. I just, I just loved the, the modern-day child. My daddy, all he had was a belt and a board. But anyway, you know, this is the timeout days and that's 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 a good thing i think but but uh but but i didn't come here to talk about the discipline side there is that you know we make the rules we make the lines and absolutely as a coach i will tell you that is our job to set the standards in our family and there will be days they won't like us and that's okay i'm still going to be the biggest cheerleader but i am going to draw the lines and i may not get liked today and i may not be popular today as the one who sets the standards in our family and the boundaries in our family, that's our job. But the day will come that they will call you blessed. The day will come if you're loving but firm. Not mean, but if you're loving but firm, the day will come they'll rise up and call you blessed. And there's times you've got to take them through these difficult, rebellious years. And there's a science in how to do that. But I want to talk in the last five minutes that I have with you about this club. It is the most frustrating club in this bag. But it is the most important club in this bag. Without this club, the ball will never get in the hole. And, and again, man, for most of us in here, this is going to be something you've never you know been taught before. But it is our job to be the man who spiritually trains our kids. This church has probably got great Sunday school classes, and that is super important. And there are great Young Life clubs in this town, and that is super important, and K-Life clubs. But the man who is responsible for the spiritual nurturing of a child is me. The other morning I woke up at 2.45, 45, day before yesterday morning, and God put some things on my heart, and they're on your table. And I took 13 pages of notes, and yesterday... I put these on paper yesterday because there's some things I wanted you to take home with you. If you'll look on the camo paper where it says train up a child, I'm going to spend my last four minutes talking about this. Now, guys, again, this, <laughs> this is the culmination of 33 years of counseling and, you know, writing 22 books and all the stuff that God has taken me down the road of helping dads be dads. But, men, I am so excited about this you get the job of taking that little ball and taking that putter and taking that ball, that child's life and that child's future, not just on this earth, but for eternity. And you get to be the one who guides that little ball into the cup. It's the greatest job we'll ever have. We were created in God's image to spiritually show our kids a reflection of what Jesus looks like. And if you look at the at the camo page, I, I, I've got, and, and guys, men are made to be creative. That's one of the things about being in God's image. And you create it however you want to. But I have had more fun with kids at camp, and with my kids, doing experiences with our kids that our kids never forget. Um, you, you can kind of go through this on your own pace. But but as David had five smooth stones, I've selected five experiences that you can take your child through somewhere during their teenage years. One of them is to talk to him about grace. I went to the Mint. And by the way, I'm putting these things in bags, and, and I am not a profiteer. So if you ever want to get these things from me, you'll get them at my cost, whatever that is. But, uh, but, but I went to the Mint, and I got these coins that have never been touched. And sometime a daddy needs to have a date with his daughter or have a, or have a dinner with his son. And he, talked, he needs to talk up to him about purity. He needs to talk to that boy or that girl about the grace of God because the world is touching our kids. And computers and pornography and stuff are stinging our kids' consciences. But they need to know the grace of God. They need to know that in Christ they are meant pure. They need to know what it means to be not condemned in front of a holy God, that Christ has taken care of the mistakes that they have made. They need to know they're meant, that they're untouched. You put it in your own words. We also, at our camp, the boys, the teenage boys and I, we all wear red rubber bands. I wear mine every day. And our red rubber band re- reminds us of the blood of Christ that's on our life and that our eyes are supposed to be pure. Take your boy to dinner. Take your daughter out. And, and, and you may want to do it with a beautiful red bracelet or a red watch band. You use your own creativity for the, for the teenage boys. We use red rubber red bands to remind us, Psalms 101.3, I will put nothing unclean before my eyes. And every time there's a computer or there's a movie or TV show, we look at our red rubber band and it reminds us, me included, that I'm not supposed to have anything impure before my eyes. When you lay down by your kids at night, memorize these scriptures with them man. Take the word of God, men. It is our number one job to hide the word of God in our kids' hearts, Deuteronomy says. And, and then I have this little thing that I put together, these widow's mites. Teach your kids that all God wants from them is everything they've got. It doesn't matter if they run the 40 and 4-4. It doesn't matter if Travers is, you know, John, if Travers is, you know, one at 210 pounds and runs a 4 What matters is that Travers learns from his daddy that God is proud of the man who gives two widow's mites like, like in, in, in the book of Luke where he gives God everything that he has. Get a purity ring for your son. And you can get these things from jewelers. We have these things made. And, and, uh, and, and have a ceremony, a date ceremony with your son or with your daughter, somewhere between 13 and 16, wh- where you put the purity ring on them. And, and you memorize the scriptures with, 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 with the kids about what it means that the marriage bed is undefiled, you know that, that God challenges boys to be sexually pure. There, there's some notes on the back, some coaching points that I wish I had time to go through. I don't. But, but, but guys, if you'll take these Bible verses and learn them yourself and then tuck your kids in night after night after night after night and memorize these scriptures with your kids, you will avoid the child of entitlement. The, the, the next page, the commission, and I, I'm out of time, so I, I won't get to go over it with you, but it's a ceremony that every dad needs to take his boy through, that every dad needs to take his daughters through. You go out in the woods with your kid and you get the seven most important people in their life. And you take them on a little hike, as Robert Lewis has taught this in the the book, uh, Raising a Modern Day Knight. And and, and these seven people take your kids through through the woods one at a time, and they talk about character qualities that that kid is modeling and that the kid will model for the rest of their life. And then at the end, you have a campfire. And all these dear people in your friend's life, in your kid's life who you've brought in, they bless this child for you, and they give this child the commissioning of a warrior ready to fight the battle for life well our time is out i wish i had more time but uh you know what i want to close and todd if you'll queue up this video uh, and if you have to walk out it's fine but um we had a camp counselor and uh, he like you when you were in college wanted to meet the girl of his dreams and uh, he was a great kid a college kid and he met that girl and then their dream like your dream was to have a boy that someday they could raise and someday would be the reflection of God through them. And uh, they had that boy, but there was something happened in the womb. And I am so glad that this guy was caring enough to take pictures along the way of this journey with this boy. And, And there's something said in this little video about the tenderness of God as expressed through a daddy. Every single day that you're blessed to be called dead go ahead Tyler
3: dear Elliot right now you are two months from being born we just found out that you have trisomy 18 also called Edward syndrome doctors tell us that you won't likely make it to birth your mom and I are praying against that we're praying for healing we're praying for nothing less than a miracle you're our first child and the day of your birth couldn't come sooner Dear Elliot, You were born today weighing in at 6 pounds. You are already a miracle to us. Your mom is doing well, and it looks like we'll be hanging out here at the hospital a little longer. Dear Elliot, Today you turned 11 days old. We are so proud of you. Today we celebrated your 11th birthday. In fact, we do that every day at 4.59, the time you were born. Dear Elliot, We've been home for a week now, so that's why you don't see your nurses anymore. It's great to have you home. Today I think we'll pack up everything and take our first venture out for coffee. Dear Elliot, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're connected to some tubes. The doctors say we have to keep these in so you can get oxygen to breathe. You're also fed through a feeding tube. We feed you every three hours, and it takes an hour and a half to do it. We've loved learning how to best take care of you. We love it. Lots of people email, call, and send cards on your behalf. You're well loved. It's 11 at night right now and my feeding shift has just begun. Mom is asleep and the best part of my day has begun. My shift ends around 4.45 a.m. when your mom takes over. She cherishes her mornings with her boy. Today you turn one month old. I didn't know if I'd ever get to say that. To top off the day, 20 friends showed up at the door for a true surprise birthday party for you. They sang, brought balloons, and a birthday cake. It was beautiful chaos. At 2 a.m. this morning, your feeding tube came out. We had been warned this may happen eventually. We quickly realized we did not have a stethoscope, which was necessary to replace the tube. Since our neighbor was a nurse, I went ahead and knocked on their door at 2.30 a.m. They found their stethoscope and your mom went to it. After much wrestling, praying, and your tears, the tube was down, and you were able to feed. Just so you know, your mom is my hero. Dear Elliot, you now weigh seven pounds, three ounces. You're growing, and your food has been bumped up because of your good appetite. You continue to find new ways to steal our hearts. Dear Elliot, today marks two months of your life. Your mom and I are so thankful we know you. We know your face, your noises. We know that bath time and massage are your favorite daily activity. You finally learned how to suck your thumb by yourself. Because of trisomy 18, you were born with clenched fists, and being able to do this is actually quite difficult. Way to go, son. Dear Elliot, we celebrate your birthday every day with a picture. Lately, we've tried to get a bit more creative. Dear Elliot, I realize you can get frustrated with your tubes and your frequent congestion. Please know that your mom and I are doing everything we can to make you comfortable. Dear Elliot, Well you tipped the scales today at 8 pounds 14 ounces. Quite an accomplishment. You also have managed to grow a pretty decent mullet. Dear Elliot, We all got to go to a reunion at the hospital. I've never seen your mom more happy. The joy she felt getting to show off her son can't be described with words. In fact, she compared it to the way a mother would feel when her son becomes president, or wins a Heisman, or develops a cure for cancer. The logic of medicine says you shouldn't be alive, but you are. You are such a fighter. Dear Elliot, you have now passed the three-month mark. You also got your first cordless pictures taken today. No feeding tube, oxygen, or stickers. This was no small accomplishment, but we got it done. Have I told you lately that we are so proud of you? Dear Elliot, today you went to be with Jesus. An underdeveloped lung, a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that placed faulty information into each and every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take a lowly thing in the eyes of the world and show truth. At your funeral, we released 99 balloons, each balloon representing a day of your life how beautiful it was to watch, how quickly they were gone. And so today, we celebrate. Elliot, you are well, and although we miss you more than we can express, we're only separated from you by our time left on earth. See you soon, son, mom and dad.
1: thank you for um, giving these men, kids, grandkids, wives to love 24 hours of the image of God. Father, thank you that we have 24 hours to love our little Elliots. Thanks for your amazing grace for loving us like that. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a little gift. Um, if, if you're not getting a chance to do devotionals with your kids and take the little putter, um, through the years laying by my kids, I got to write devotional books for other dads. And um, these are for kids that are probably 12 years old and up. But anyway, if you want to pick up one of these, this one takes your kids through Proverbs and this one takes your kids through the New Testament. One little 10-minute devotional at a time. It's been a privilege uh, to get to share
0: my failures with you this morning god bless you all amen